Hey, what's up? It's your girl, Ida Rodriguez, and welcome to another episode of Truth Serum. Um, first and foremost, I want to say thank you to all of you who support the show weekly and that you've been sharing the content, you've been commenting and engaging, and I so appreciate you. So I want to say thank you. Here, the, the team here at Truth Serum, believe it or not, we have a team also says thank you. So we want to continue to have these conversations about the things that you care about from the perspective of the people whose voices you don't get to hear the majority of the time. So yes, people of color, women, marginalized groups, and most importantly, stand-up comedians because, uh, you know, they're trying to shut us up too. So um, we want to, I just want to say thank you. Keep sharing the content, keep coming back. And uh, we're going to have a great show today. We're going to hit these headlines. I have two amazing, funny people joining me who are not just great comedians, but also great friends of mine. And yes, this is my show, so I can put whoever I want on it. And that's what I do. Uh, I do what everybody else in Hollywood does, but I do it with my friends. So they're going to come and join me. Both of these comedians have had specials on Showtime. Both of these comedians have been doing stand-up um, where they are worthy of television shows, comedy specials, and all of the above. They've toured not just domestically, but worldwide. They have fan bases all over the world. One of these comedians was named the most attractive stand-up comic by Howard Stern, for whatever that's worth. We think he's beautiful. And uh, one of these comedians was in South Africa and stole somebody's show. What's up, Ruben Paul and April Macy? Hey. They love April in Africa. They love her, and Howard Stern loves me. Uh, I feel mangled now. I feel like I should have done something with my hair if you were going to say that. A beast. <laughs> when you got listen, when you wake up in the morning, and I know because I slept in your house because uh, you gave me your room when I was homeless. So you look beautiful all the time. So anyway, I love you. Uh, I love that. So uh, you know what? And it's so funny when sometimes when you have stuff and you have an opportunity to give to somebody, and you just want to give it to somebody who you know. There's the pressure, right? Because you're like, fuck, my friends aren't funny. And I know some people who are in those predicaments, but I'm not one of them because my friends are funny. So I'm glad that <laughs> you both are here because we get to uh, really be funny. Um, first, of, first of all, I want people to know who you are and they want to know what's going on with you so that they can follow you because we do have a faithful audience here and we do have some really good people that show up for this show so um i'll start with you ruben um because you know black lives matter <laughs> <laughs> what exactly uh what's going on with you right now you said what what's going on with you right now um i'm just working trying to make it through this pandemic like we all are, um, trying to find other ways to be creative and to um, have a voice when uh, our industry seems to be completely shut down, at least in uh, California right now. Um, so because I write also, I've been able to shift uh, my focus on writing. Uh, I've created a, a game show that I'm very excited about that you, you know about. And I'm uh, also uh, working on another television project. Uh, it's not stand-up, uh, which uh, 
I would have never, since the day I started, thought I would go this long without performing. So it's just been a weird adjustment mentally. Uh, people think we just perform for the people, which is true, but uh, it's very um, therapeutic and cathartic for us as comedians to have that outlet to express, to filter how we see the world. And, um, you know, it's been tough not to have that right now. Mm. I don't think people understand that um, this is our job. <laughs> and yeah. that's why people go to the, the ER and some people go to the towel mill and some people go to the car lot. We go to the stage and we've been. Yeah. So and can I, let me, and let me just say one thing real quick. Uh, and I know a lot of people talk about these Zoom shows and I've done these Zoom shows and you could do stand up on a Zoom show. And I've done those and I'll continue to do those because um, I'm going to make the adjustment for whatever state that we're in. But it's not the same. <laughs> and I hope you guys uh, who support these comedians and Zoom shows are a little bit more forgiving when you're watching these shows because it's not the same for us. It's very awkward. Uh, but we're going to make it work, and we're going to do it for you guys who are who are watching online. But just know, we hate every second of it. <laughs> do you do them seated? Do you like stand and razzle dazzle, or do you sit? Yeah, I sit because I'm I'm you know my stand up is like really conversational, so I just kind of get in the mindset of I'm talking to you know a group of thirty people if I'm on a Zoom show. Um, but yeah, I prefer to stay. And I don't I don't mind people who stand. I know, you know, I've done a few oh, shows. You know, it's funny, um, April, you are more physical in your comedy. So what do you do? Just like around the living? Everyone fat. Unless I can see you do your body like that, like that, I live for that stuff. So. How have you been, uh, what you've been doing during the pandemic? I, I'm tired of asking. <laughs> I don't know if you can see, I was crying before this. I have a facial <laughs> meltdown. Yeah, 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 that's why I'm wearing glasses. I have a weepy eye. I've just been having meltdowns like I had when I was a teenager since pandemic. Because I was joking before, I was like, what would I do? Like, what else could I do with my life? I mean, I have no other life skills. And then you come to find out, you're like, oh, fuck, this actually happened. And I really have no formal education or yeah. life skills. <laughs> and, and then I think you start, because I have done some shows. Like, I've traveled a bit, and the shows are sad. Like, I had one normal weekend in Tampa, because Florida doesn't really care that much. when They were still half capacity. So 100 people felt like a show. But if you're doing seven people in Illinois and they're pulling in, you know, the dude from the kitchen because you don't have enough to fill some seats. You're like, this can't be my life anymore. Like, this is sad. So I've been trying to create content or create some shows and try to sell something and I don't know. Any business I would do that would be shut down. I'm like, oh, maybe I could be a wedding planner and you're like, oh no, weddings are murdering people too. <laughs> maybe i could do um like travel i'm like oh yeah nobody's traveling so there go my three choices for life hey and not to mention when you're traveling and you're doing these socially distant shows like in tampa or on the road mm -hmm. where they've cut the capacity our our salaries are cut too yeah well so now you're you're taking these trips to these places and you're making way less money and a lot of people don't understand sometimes how that works like a club will give you a buyout and you go in and you have to, you know, hotel, airfare, mm -hmm. and then doing the shows, it's all in one package. And now with less, you know, seats being able to be sold, 
you know. Illinois is only 50. It's, well, if they only have four shows, how are they? I mean, a lot of clubs are closing down. I think Cap City just closed. And you're like, that was standing for 35 years. I know. So you see, like, the bigger ones start to tumble. And then that becomes scary because you're like, what's going to fill that void? For somebody, if you only have 35 or 40 weekends to fill, there's only so many clubs in the U.S. Those clubs can't dwindle. Or you're, yeah. tr- you're truly fucked. Like, yeah. You know, doctors, we're not going to make like a sustained living where, oh, I make make 500,000 for the rest of my life. It's ours are year to year, month to month sometimes. Yeah. I thought I was a celebrity last year with how much money I made. This year I realized I'm not. (laughs) (laughs) Do you feel like, do you, do you know, um, it's really frustrating when, when you talk about these things and people say, you're just comedians. You guys are just entertainers. Like we are not human beings, right? Like we don't have to make a living. We don't have family that we take care of. You know what I'm saying? So it's really interesting, not to mention the impact that entertainment really has socially on the world because it really informs how people see us and how we see ourselves and so it's really frustrating when people are like oh really the comedians are whining you don't get to tell jokes it's like that's my motherfucking living with the yeah, your identity i think people also don't realize like i identify as a stand-up comedian you take that away and you have to re kind of redefine who you are you're like well if i'm not this thing that i've been for almost two decades like what am i I'm, yeah, I have no other. I have no other way to describe myself. Because this is a career. This is not just a job or a yeah. gig we picked up to figure out what we want to do in life. Like this is it. But um, I will say this, and I know uh, I'm sure both you and Ida have experienced this. Is uh, I got an email that just re reenergized me. It was, it was from uh, this girl I did a college show years ago, and. Uh, her mother had just committed suicide. And she said uh, that she came to my show and it was the first time she had had hope that things could get better since her mom died. And she just wanted to find me to let me know that. So when you get that type of email, when you're uh, uh, feeling sorry for yourself or you're struggling with what we're dealing with right now, it just goes, you know, what I do does have a purpose. What we do does have a purpose. Uh, even though some people try to discount it. Uh, a good friend of mine, Johnny Sanchez, always says, you know, comedians are the uh, Navy SEALs of the entertainment industry. Like, we, you know, we do it all. We're on the front lines. And uh, a lot of us, you know, would do it for free. And a lot of people a lot of people are doing it for free yeah. uh, because we love what we do so much. And uh, we are being of, of service. So I'd never let anybody uh, take away the fact that what we provide is vital. That's why why the art form has been around so long. I think you can't minimize somebody that's capable of taking away somebody's pain for whether that be 10 minutes, 45 minutes, or an hour and a half. Like, you allow people to forget or to feel connected. Like, if they're going through something, you are going through something similar, you don't feel the same isolation in the world because we're the people that are willing to talk about those things. Like, it just gives its form of human connection. I think you take that away and it's yeah. the last kind of form of free speech. You can go up there and say whatever the fuck you want. I was just watching a clip of a comedian that I, I want to, I want to help 
um, she, Danny, um, um, uh, sorry, she is in a wheelchair, right? And she is so funny. And I took her to Sundance and she did my show at Sundance. And she was telling jokes about her own, you know, how she became disabled because that's part of her healing. And people in the audience were like, oh, no. Like, it was amazing to watch how people try to even tell you mm-hmm. that you can't, um, you can't even talk about what happened to you because it's offensive. Yeah. That's what happened. The special, like, Ida and I shot special together that they ready. And they cut a part of my, one, they had encouraged me to do a piece of my family. And it's just my uncle was in an accident when he was uh, his junior prom and he was left quadriplegic. And he used to make this noise that would traumatize me as a kid. And when they cut this piece, I was like, that was my experience. He, ah, like, that's how Uncle Henry sounded. Like, I don't know what's offensive about yeah. my childhood ex- experience of being afraid of this uncle in a wheelchair. They just wheel in for holidays. <laughs> you know, the thing is that now your, your, uh, your, what happened to you, your trauma, now trauma is also categorized as, what, as what's more valuable. Mm-hmm. So unfortunately, because two things can exist at the same time, right? Systemic racism, sexism, colorism, all of that can exist. And still, what happens to you can still be valid. And we've lost our way with that, even in comedy. So Joe Rogan um, issued an apology. And um, he apologized today, which is uh, monumental for that, that group of people because Joe Rogan never apologizes. And his apology was, um, uh, do we have video of it, Irina? Maybe not. He said it was a letter, I guess, or a statement. And he said, I'm so fucking sorry. It was so fucking stupid. It was in that, it was that, that, uh, that tone, you know, um, I, I, I misquoted, I didn't delve deeper. I didn't go further and I did something, but it was, I'm fucking sorry. I was fucking stupid. I'm fucking. So it was kind of like a, an apology, but it was a disgruntled apology. Do you ever feel like you have to apologize? Uh, me? Both uh, of you. Uh, I would say uh, it, it, in, in normal life, absolutely. But on stage, no. Because, um, you know, I think I could speak for both of you also. I mean, we're comedians that are, are well thought out when we go on, on stage. And even though I do use a lot of improv in my act, it still comes from a, uh, it comes from a base. It comes from a, a specific point of view, no matter what I say. So, uh, I, I believe this might sound corny. I believe my comedy comes from a place of love. So, uh, if somebody takes the wrong way that has more to do with them than it does to do with me, because uh, I think it's our job to tell our truth when we're on stage, whatever that might be. And you can't please everybody. You know, I remember telling uh, a lady after a show, she was like, I thought you were really funny until you started talking about this. And I said, well, everybody else seemed to enjoy it. So am I supposed to do a show specifically specifically for you and ignore everybody else in the audience? It's like, no. It's just like if you go to a movie, just come, laugh, don't laugh, and then leave. You're coming to see a presentation on how I see the world. And if you, I, I want you to like it. No comedian ever goes up on stage 
and sometimes, well, I was going to say, most comedians never go up on stage to upset the audience. Now, I will bet, as comedians sometimes, we are assholes and be like, you know what, I'm about to piss this audience off. So, just as an inside thing to make it uh, more fun for us. So, we do, but for the most part, when you pay your hard-earned money and come to see us perform, uh, we're just giving you a piece of who we are and what our point of view is. And if you're offended by that, then that has more to do with you than it does with us. Well, that's the we one thing that it really confuses me when people don't like comedians. It's like, I can understand if you don't, it's not your sensibility, but wanting to say somebody's not funny. I'm like, well, that person has income taxes that show that they're funny. Like, that's how they make their living. You might not find it. Or to me, the intention is so pure for most comedians. It's like, you're just simply trying to bring joy to strangers' lives. So if you're traveling, I feel like I've sacrificed birthdays, holidays, Valentine's Day, where you're isolated in a hotel room with the sole intention of making other people laugh. So when they come back at you with this, like some level of disdain or hate, you're like, I just wanted to make people smile. Like, how do you hate me this much? Or like, I already don't like myself that much. You can't hate me this much. You know what's interesting, though, about what you just said? It just, it just struck me as... Uh, when you said the stuff that we sacrificed, that's one thing I do love about doing military shows as rowdy as they can be. Sometimes at the end of the day, they are so grateful to have us in these places. You know, I remember, I remember spending Christmas overseas in Bahrain doing a show at an undis uh, undisclosed private base. And, um, you know, they were so grateful to have us there performing, you know, there are no complaints cause they have nothing. And I think sometimes, uh, you know, people have to understand we are there just to do a job to, uh, <laughs> to enjoy. Like, yeah. like, to, how do you hate the person who maybe they didn't bring you joy? Maybe they brought you fury, but the intention behind it was joy. <laughs> like, I yeah. had this woman in Chicago, and she came up to me screaming. She, I've been screamed at multiple times, but this particular time, this woman was screaming at me what I was, what a disservice I was doing for women. And, like, the joke that she referenced was just a joke I pulled out of, like, a woman's studies book and then turned into a joke about the percentage of women that own land. It's usually, I think it's, like, less than 10% of women are landholders. And it's usually because women live longer and then they, like, dudes die and they inherit land. And this woman was, like, just screaming at me with such an intensity that I was like, I do more for women simply by standing on that stage and showing women that they're capable of doing this. Because most of the time, you're just going to see a man. And then I do believe I said she had a Dorothy Hamill haircut. And I, I, think <laughs> I told her to spin on out of there, take her Dorothy Hamill haircut and spin out the door. But she was young, so I think the reference was lost. <laughs> Um, I want to talk about some of the headlines because I think sometimes we get really heavy and, you know, I know I get heavy, but I think it's fun to really approach headlines with uh, comedians because our take on things sometimes is what, exactly what you need to get through the moment because if you, not, if you don't, you will be in a constant state of doom. So I, will, I always sit down. The social dilemma is a documentary that uh, just came out and it was trending on Twitter because it was breaking down the effects of social media and how they did not think it was going to be this way. And these people who were all participating in it from Twitter to, you know, Instagram to Facebook have all participated in this documentary 
to really break down how it is affecting the human brain, human evolution, society, and civilization. Um, and I do believe we have a um, we have a short yeah we have the uh, the trailer. So take a look. When you go to Google and type in climate change is, you're going to see different results depending on where you live and the particular things that Google knows about your interests. That's not by accident, that's a design technique. What I want people to know is that everything they're doing online is being watched, is being tracked. Every single action you take is carefully monitored and recorded. A lot of people think Google's just a search box and Facebook's just a place to see what my friends are doing. What they don't realize is there's entire teams of engineers whose job is to use your psychology against you. I was the co-inventor of the Facebook like button. I was the president of Pinterest. Google, Twitter, Instagram. There were meaningful changes happening around the world because of these platforms. I think we were naive about the flip side of that coin. We get rewarded by parts, likes, thumbs up, and we conflate that with value and we conflate it with truth. A whole generation is more anxious, more depressed. I always felt like fundamentally it was a force for good. I don't know if I feel that way anymore. Facebook discovered that they were able to affect real-world behavior and emotions without ever triggering the user's awareness. They are completely clueless. Fake news spreads six times faster than true news. We're being bombarded with rumors. Everyone's entitled to their own facts. There's really no need for people to come together. In fact, there's really no need for people to interact. We have less control over who we are and what we really believe. If you want to control the population of your country, there has never been a tool as effective as Facebook. Yeah. And so, and, and it just scratches the surface because it really doesn't go into like the deep issues like sexism and racism and how that's affected by this stuff because it really does. You know, it's, it's primarily a bunch of white guys talking about how they basically have fucking destroyed the world <laughs> and how they've made the world worse. So, um, you know, that that is it's been trending um the guy who said they created the like button they didn't create the like button with the intention of it you know wanting to make people to kill wanting to make people feel so bad that they would want to kill themselves it really talks about how they really thought it was to boost morale and they really thought it would be an encouraging you know because but unfortunately youtube has a dislike button and ooh, it's it's brutal. No, I can I can't read my comments. Can like sometimes it's so heartbreaking. You're like, who has this level of hate? Like, who are these people that sit home clickety clacking? Like for every and you never notice as a performer, there could be thirty people that love you, and you only really hone in on the one. And I feel like for a lot of women, like when I did Last Comic Standing, it was all physical attacks. Where you're like, the men, why are the men not getting? Why are the male comedians? not well, being attacked on their appearance or like it didn't matter whether it was your tits or your teeth like there was always something to find to diminish you for well, you know, well, a lot of most people at their core want to diminish especially if they've never accomplished anything in their life you don't realize that it's these are just really unhappy people like i didn't realize initially now i just don't read them 
Well, I, I mean, me and Ida have had this conversation uh, privately. But the thing I've always said about uh, social media is giving people a voice that should not have a voice. And what I mean by that is, you know, if you think of something like the medical field or laws, like those people are qualified to give you their opinion. Mm -hmm. uh, if somebody, uh, if, if uh, you know, you had to go to school to become a journalist and do all these other things and learn integrity about uh, your field, now anybody can have an opinion, anybody can go on and people look at it as legitimate news when it could be just somebody in their basement who didn't even graduate from high school. I'm not saying you have to graduate from high school to have an opinion, but just at least be educated no, about what they're saying. You know? Yeah, they're never informed opinions, but you have the leader of president of the United States. What did you say? Was it two days ago, three days ago, where he said he doesn't believe the science? It's like mm -hmm. the arrogance. Yeah. Our celebrities used to be scientists and intellectuals, and then all of a sudden, it's just chicks with big, big lips on Twitter and, and Facebook and Instagram new celebrities. Yeah, and another level of social media that's really interesting that shows you something is inherently wrong is you'll have somebody who won an Oscar, who wrote the best novel, and they'll have 400,000 followers. Then you just have somebody who just shows their ass, and they'll have 12 million followers. Yeah. And I remember having a conversation with Ida years ago. I don't even know if you remember this, Ida. I was like, how is it possible that, like, a hundred thousand people all have millions and millions of followers. It just seems like those numbers are off when you look at the whole context of the world. Like, how could all these numbers be real? How could this person that just, you know, does cat videos have 12 million followers and, you know, Denzel Washington has 350,000 or some shit like that? You know, it's just a weird, the internet is just weird. There's no real, um, that's why you can't let it validate you or justify you because it doesn't really make any sense. There's no rhyme or reason to. Well, I'm sure there is a reason. Or something that people. I posted, comment up, though. I posted this comment because you see this. We want to become famous by followers, primes, and views on bigfollows.com. They that is this is the, them trying to you know tap into your need to be validated by way of social media. And people pay for this. And I remember when I was on Instagram that Instagram did that sweep. And I know a lot of people who have bought followers, they, their, their followers dwindled. And it, they had to be embarrassed because people were like, oh, you bought followers. Because it's like, this is the new high school. This is what, this is what we value. This is how we're validated. And it is affecting our business. Because now when you go into meetings with these people, they want to know how many followers you have what type of engagement you have. And it's not just about the content or the quality of the content anymore. But that's yeah. going to destroy stand-up comedy. If you take this art form and then you have these social media influence people coming in, doing an off night, obviously selling out, well, then they're going to give them a weekend. But they don't have enough material to sustain an hour. It's like people that have been working on it 15, 20 years finally get like a solid hour. So people come to these clubs thinking that's what stand-up comedy is, and you've just burned over the course of that weekend or however many, whatever nonsense act they fucking hurl up there. People go, oh, this stinks. This is stand-up comedy? Yeah. You don't well, come back. So you well, burned, burned 1,500 people for some turd circle who has no act. Yeah, well, piggybacking on what both of you guys said, 
uh, even with these comedy clubs, like I just said, and with the industry, they'll ask you how many followers do you have. And I've had people like, yo, man, you should buy some followers, man. You're too funny to have less than however many followers. But why should why shouldn't you just be able to stand on your own merit? And, and to your point, um, April, is a lot of these social social media quote unquote comedians that go into these clubs and take this week. And I don't begrudge anybody making a living. If you can sell a ticket, uh, God bless you. But at the same time, people should understand what the art form of comedy is. And when they go see some of these people who don't have the comedic shots of a stand-up comedian, and then they see one of us perform, there's a noticeable difference. And people mm -hmm. come up to you and go, oh, you're like a real comedian. Yeah. yeah. And, and, that's, and that's what we got to hang our hat on. And hopefully, you know, or maybe not, that it will catch up. You know what I mean? That people will start following people who, who actually have some substance about what they're doing. I don't think people realize because the people that are the best comedians always make it look the easiest. So it makes people delusional, like, oh, I could do that. So we yeah. made it look easy because they've yeah. been doing it for 20, 15, 10, 20 years. They're mm -hmm. like, yeah, they already have their 10,000 hours in and 100 million bombs. <laughs> so. yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's hard to watch. Like, I saw this one girl who sells out, and again, I don't begrudge anybody making a living. It's not their fault that clubs uh, are booking them. They should go. Jingles? What are their dumb names? They always have real dumb names. Too, right? <laughs> like, <laughs> but she was, on, she was on stage in a, in a packed room, literally doing uh, beginner open mic type comedy. And I just felt for the audience that they had to sit there for 45 minutes to an hour to literally jokes that you know, a lot of us were probably doing the first year we're in the comedy and they're actually the headliner at a club. But if they're from a younger time, that might be their first comedy club experience. So they don't know any better. That's why I use the example is sometimes we're, we're, when we are on those type of shows with somebody who doesn't have that type of experience, it's clear yeah. to the audience. And they, and, and even the 18 year old knows, oh, wow, like that was Wow, that was different than what they did. It's like, yeah, I'm a, I'm a comedian. I've been doing this this amount of time. And it's, it's a whole nother level. There's levels for this. Well, no, I just was going to say that what I, I used to get mad and um, and focus on the comedians, right? And then I realized that it's, a, it's like any other issue where there's divide and conquer. It's like they're just surviving and trying to make a living, right? Because this is they figured out a way to make a living. And we don't hold the business accountable. So you see comedians attacking these social media comics and going off on them. But the real problem is the, that, the, that the industry is validating them, ignoring the, the actual craft and trying to make a quick buck. And then now when you see with COVID and what's happening is that people are losing their clubs because they can't even, you know, you can't even keep them anymore. But it's really a problem when the industry values that because then they let you know that they don't really care about the bit, the art. They just want to make money. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, I don't know. I, the, just even, it's like our country is divided in so many ways. And even in the comedy community, we find this division between what people call a social media comedian and a real comedian. And I think at the end of the day, even if you started off as a social media comedian, if you do the work mm -hmm. as a stand-up, 
you know, you can be successful doing it. You can grow into that position you were thrusted into because, you know, you posted a video of, you know, two dogs slap boxing. You know what I mean? So now you can, you know, uh, earn, you know, all these accolades and at least maintain what the comedy club experience is supposed to be. Professional comedians presenting to you their point of view, uh, an honest um, point of view coming from their perspective. And the problem is when you're a young comedian, you don't know sometimes that you're doing jokes that a lot of us have done five years prior, 10 years prior. Because comedy is very cyclical. You could do a joke. You know, we all know in our comedy careers, like, man, in 2007, remember everybody, like, everybody had a fit like this in, in 2007. And then it stops. And then somebody who just started in 2011, they're doing those bits from 2007 that they probably never heard any of us do. It's like, yo, been there, done that, dude. So we learn as a comedian how to go within to get that material so it keeps it as original as possible. Is there anything new under the sun? No. But are our perspectives and the lives that we live unique? Yes. And that's why I always encourage comedians to always tap into who they are because that's the easiest way to be original. So, go ahead. There's a new category of the sexual assault comedians who seem to be filling their calendars just fine. <laughs> Nothing makes me angrier than looking at a fucking comedy club calendar. It's uh, I'm, I'm a comedy club calendar that has more fucking men that have been accused of sexual assault. And granted, it's an accusation, but if they're still pending, maybe we don't want them on our stage. Can you give it a few fucking weeks? And there's not one woman, and you're like, "Ooh, that dude jerks off on ladies. Ooh, that dude fucks children. Ooh, you can just go through the calendar, and not one lady head, but a lot of goddamn sexual assaults." But can we, but can we be, can we, well, April and I, we can, we have honest conversation. Most of them are white guys. Dudes, all fucking dude heads. Yeah. And it's funny because, you know, uh, it's most of them are white guys because Tracy Morgan made an inappropriate joke and he had to go on an apology tour for an inappropriate joke because they thought that that joke was offensive. But people who are accused, actually accused of being inappropriate with children have an opportunity to go to go perform because we don't have a union and we don't have to regulate it, right? Yeah. All club owners. Like, my guess is any experience that I've had, like, I've, and granted, there are a lot of clubs that book a lot of women and have diverse calendars, but there's some, and there's, like, one booker in particular that I'm thinking of like, Ida, how many times have I gone across the country taking screenshots of a major chain, and out of, what was it, 72 weeks, there were two women, one was a medium, and you're like, out of seven, you're like, one chick speaking to the dead, so you only got one chick that's speaking to the living, telling jokes, out of 72 weekends. Well, I mean, you, you both know, um, I've always been a, a champion for, for women in comedy, and I think the problem is, is sometimes what we see in these corporations is you have people uh, making decisions without having different perspectives. Meaning mm -hmm. like sometimes you'll see some go, didn't they have one black person on their board that could have said, no, don't put this out. And I think in comedy, comedy historically has ostracized women. You know, we all, I'm sure you guys have heard it. I hear it all the time. Like, man, women just ain't funny. And I've been. You still hear that? Do you really still hear that? Oh my yeah. God. Listen, you want to go, listen, anytime, anytime, any network posts a video of a woman in comedy, 
if you if you venture off into the comments you will see all of the toxic males saying that women are not funny this yeah. is funny they just did it with sam J the other day when netflix posted it it yeah. doesn't matter who the woman is and let me let me tell you this uh i've had both of you guys on my show uh ruby tuesdays at the laugh factory and i've had people come up to me and go wow Hey man, I gotta be honest, man. I don't really think women are funny, but she was funny. And I'm like, yeah, I'm only gonna book funny people on the show, male or female. I don't do the tokenism thing. I wish sometimes, I mean, I have had shows and Ida can tell you this, where I've had three women on one lineup and I don't call it ladies night. It's just another fucking comedy show. So I wish sometimes that I had access to more women and Ida added me into a group chat with a bunch of women mm -hmm. where I was happy to be a, a part of that conversation and hear what a lot of you guys are going through and just wishing I had access to more women to give a different point of view. You touched on it earlier, April. Somebody could, if, everybody has the right to their own opinion. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, that's your opinion. So if somebody's not funny, I always go, hey, they're not funny to me or they don't make me laugh. I still don't discount that they could still be great at what they do to somebody else. And I think people making the, the choice and the decision that audience members don't want to hear women, that's kind of what you're dealing with. Because People I'm coming from a, man, a male perspective. Exactly. So that's the problem with the yeah, To me, what's crazy about this is that half, uh, half an audience is always women, if not more, because women typically be, are, are the social planners. Like, my husband's never been like, oh, we're going here tonight. I got a plan. That's never yeah. fucking happened. So men are just putting on their pants and kind of going where they're told it's and women go out and lady pack. So you have half an audience. You to me, it's such an egocentric way of looking at things because you, as a man, don't find a female perspective funny. You're discounting that women have a different perspective. Like maybe I don't find dude dicks funny. Like dude dick jokes funny. It's I don't do it because I don't have a dick. But you can know that. Are, it, it, the thing is also we have to remember is that a lot of the people in the comment sections on social media are part of the incel community. There are a bunch of involuntary celibate who are volatile and violent. They hate women like the man in Florida who went to the yoga studio because he couldn't get any ass. And these are, and they kill people and they're violent and they're volatile and you see it in their comments. And so when you say, when you say this, people say, oh, the outrage culture, you guys are, no, I don't belong to the outrage culture. When I think something's fucked up, I call it fucked up. I don't go around policing other people because I do fucked up shit and I say fucked up things because I'm not perfect. But yeah. when you see that it is part of a, a group of people, and if you look at the categories, you look at the comment sections on YouTube, you go to the Netflix comment section, if you go look at the profiles, it's usually somebody who fits that profile of somebody who's an incel and that they hate women they hate women so they don't think you're funny they don't think you're nice they don't belong they don't they think you are here to be of service to them why don't you look at them why can't they get some ass they're angry so of course they're not going to think you're funny but i think that's a lot of male group like the male comedians that still say women aren't funny it's like one they're mad because they can't fuck you and they can't follow you so how about one of those fucking dudes point me in a direction and let him fucking, let's go to Tampa and let that motherfucker follow me. Because it's not going to happen. Then we can watch the video 
of somebody eating dog shit. Like I've had it with this. How is this still a <laughs> conversation? Well, I, 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 I follow me. I, I again, I think it goes. It's, it's <laughs> always going to go back to they're insulated in this little world, and if you're not paying attention, like I, I try to look at myself as somebody who pays attention. And one thing that I've always noticed, you know, one of my first mentors in the comedy business, rest in peace, Yvette Wilson, um, always showed me a women's perspective. And I've always seen how the dynamic of the audience would change. If you have dude, 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 and then a woman comes up, it just changes the atmosphere of the, of the room. And that's cool for comedy. Just like if you went to a show and it was like, white guy, white guy, white guy, white guy, when the black comic comes up or the Latino comic comes up, or the Asian comic comes up, it totally changed the dynamic of the room because they were not represented before. It was all one thing. So but it's, it's also the way they're introduced. I mean, have you ever heard, as a female comic, I can't tell you how many foolish introductions, like, we got something different. We yeah. got a lady. Like, they're bringing yeah, out how fucking I'm going to play the tambourine. <laughs> what do you when they when they make a when they introduce you as everything but funny. Yeah. Oh, she's this next one. I've had comics at the comedy store say I've jerked off to this next lady coming to the stage. Well, how do you think an audience is going to receive you if somebody just said they jerked off to you? They're in that yeah. mindset for the next seven to ten minutes until you take them out of that. Yeah. Why do I have to work a fucking uphill battle because fucking dipshit Jones with a mediocre set, he, that was his biggest laugh of the fucking evening was bringing me up by saying he jerked off to me? Yeah. Why do you work on your act instead of your intros, motherfucker? <laughs> well, it's... And your love life. So you <laughs> have to talk to comedians on YouTube. <laughs> well, I, I had one comedian come up to me. You know, he goes, hey, man, why do you focus so much on diversity? Shouldn't you just book the funniest people? And I go, I do book the funniest people, but I consciously want other opinions and voices to be heard. That's the whole point of diversity. I can always pick, I can always have a great show every week with all black comics, period, if, I, if that's what I wanted to do. But I know that there's other funny voices that will be great to have on one show where people can get different perspectives and probably get educated you know and that's one thing that i that i'm most proud of of the show that i put on at the laugh factory and when this gets normal is i will everybody is usually represented i don't care if you're gay straight male female whatever race you are if you're funny it's dope to have a lineup with like hey this because everybody in the audience has different tastes yeah you know so there might be somebody who likes the physical comic or the quirky comic or the weird comic or the dirty comic or whatever it might, or the hood comic or the, you know, bougie comic, whatever your style is, there's usually somebody in the audience for you. So that's why I always say you're going to get something at a show and more of these shows have to focus on diversity because I'm, I'm sick of the shit. If you have four white comics and one black comic, it's called a comedy show. But if you have four black comics and one white comic, it's called a black show. Why is that? Yeah. yeah. And they're like, oh God, it's it's three women on this show. It's gonna be horrible. I mean, I hear it all the time. Uh, I don't want to miss this headline because um, it makes me laugh, and I want to get your perspective on it. And uh, Joe Biden has made a decision that he wanted to really go uh, target the the Latinx uh, community because he is not performing uh, that well with them. Neither of them are, I mean, I guess because, you know, Donald Trump today said that they were going to 
give a relief package to Puerto Rico, which is funny because he threw paper towels. He ignored them. He tried to sell Puerto Rico. And now he re somebody must have told him, hey, they got a lot of Puerto Ricans in Florida. So now he's like, hey, Puerto Rico. And then Joe Biden did this because if you're trying to target Latinos, you have to do this. Um, I just have one thing to say. Hang on here. <laughs> All right. There you go. Dance a little bit, Joe. Come on. I tell you what. If I had the talent of any one of these people, I'd be, I'd be elected president by acclamation. Thank you. <laughs> now, in fairness. In all fairness, I believe Fonsi introduced him. So he was trying to, you know, be endearing to the person who introduced him, but at the same time, pandering to the Latin community. And I thought it was funny, first of all, that he didn't know how to work his phone because he had a hard time getting to the actual song. And then... Um, <laughs> you, only person that song appeals to is my Persian husband. <laughs> I mean, isn't it, isn't it so interesting that with our cultures, uh, take a break for a minute, April. Is it uh, so interesting with our cultures how we're, all, we're it's like we're dwindled down to one thing, you know, the music or the food that we eat or what whatever that stereotype is, that's how they feel like they have to connect with us instead of just treating us like normal human beings. And like you said, he, you know, he was trying to be endearing to whoever introduced him. But it's just funny how uh, people pander. And we see it a lot in comedy. You'll see some of those white comics come into a black room and their whole act is about how great black people are while they're insulting us the whole time. And we eat it up. But sometimes we're so hungry to be accepted and want to be liked by other cultures that we allow ourselves to be disrespected, not even knowing we're being disrespected. Oh, black women. Ooh, man, I love sisters. But have you ever called customer service and got a sister on the telephone? Man. Yeah. Man, and I love sisters, but a sister, will, a sister will cut you. You better not do anything like white women ain't cutting people. Oh, man, I love sisters. You know, but a sister will, you know, whoop your ass. Like, it's this, you know, and these are all black audiences and they're going crazy over the shit not even realize that they're being shit on. And a lot of times they don't even have personal experience with the race that they talk about. One thing I hang my hat on is everything that I talk about regarding race comes from some type of personal experience and not what I saw on television or movie. It's actually interaction with those people. So if I'm doing a joke about Mexican people or a specific person, try not to generalize, that person is a real person that I know and have spent time with and probably broke bread with or been in class with or whatever. And some people's upbringings aren't diverse enough to even be speaking or trying to uh, complement other cultures. It's just the surface general bullshit that they tend to use. So uh, I, I, I thought it was funny. <laughs> that always makes me laugh. Like, I don't know why, but I just realized that we are a, a deciding factor in this election right now. And uh the the everybody is trying to figure out what their strategy is going to be and how to get the latin um the latin vote so donald trump targeted the puerto ricans and 
it, uh, Despacito is a worldwide song, um, and it was one of the most successful songs ever downloaded on YouTube. So, but it is also, uh, you know, a very Caribbean song. So they're they're targeting outside of Mexico because they've been really, really, you know, everybody's been uh, really fucked up towards the immigrants in America. Um, and, and, you know, they always lead us to believe that immigrants only come from Latin America where people come here from all over the world. But we, um, they, it's really funny to that they are, uh, you know, targeting Latinos right now because a few months ago it was, everything was Black Lives Matter, Black Lives Matter. Um, but, you know, what's funny is that, and, and before that it was the women, remember? It was the women determined the votes. Women, women put Donald Trump in office. And, so that they then they have somebody to blame when something goes wrong. But it does feel like I mean it was white women were responsible for that chair being in office. What percentage of suburban white women voted for for him? To me, that makes no sense. Like I don't understand. <laughs> I, I mean, is that just their husbands? It trickles down. Like I don't understand how you could hate yourself that much as a woman, having heard what he said. And then be like, yep, that's my guy. Check that box. Well, yeah. it's amazing what people uh, choose to forgive or to, to, you know, the exceptions that they'll make to certain types of behavior. Like, they'll be firmly against one thing, but they go, well, he does this, this thing good. But when it's on the opposite side of the aisle, you know, it's a deal breaker. And it's like, well, there's compromise in everything. And it's just like these, the Republicans and the Democrats in this country, it's just like the blood in the Crips. You know, it's it's just weird. It's, it's it's like you're on one side or the other, and both sides hate each other. And um, it's politics, man. And that shit is just, it's just disheartening to see that it seems to have gotten even worse. I just can't imagine another four years. From I mean, just personally affected. For me, that means, like, my husband's mother will never be able to enter the country by the time... This admin, if he gets reelected, that administration, what another? She'll be seventy-two years old and won't have seen her grandchildren in six or seven years. Yeah. Like, to me, that's that's what people are voting for. You're. Well, it's a hard mentality, and on both sides, to be honest, um, you know, like uh, Donald Trump was just accused of uh, another a woman by another woman for sexual assault. And that is just par for the course. Nobody cares. Like everybody is like, Oh, it trends. We talk about it. Oh my God. He did this to the, to the, you know, to the central park five. Oh my God. He said, grab him by the pussy. Oh my God. But it, it, it just continues. And then there are people who are, you know, the coronavirus has been politicized to where we don't know what, what the truth is. Uh, I, those of us who are of some that have some semblance of intelligence are like, you know what? Regardless of what it is, I'm not fucking with it. I'm not risking my life because I don't trust these people anyway. So I'm gonna just do what I need to do to stay alive. But there are some people in Florida, of course, uh, who don't feel that way, and they went to Target and they did this. Take it off! 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 Take it off!
the nine white people march is what I call them. I just think about what about the people that work there? Like, what about somebody that goes home? Like, my dad just had triple bypass. My dad has diabetes. Like, what about the person that has to go home and take care of an aging parent? Like, what a selfish... I just... Or my friend. My friend's a teacher. Her son was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes. Like, do those people need to die for you to make your weird little march point? Like, it doesn't make any sense. There's somebody that has to go to Target and has to work there every day for minimum wage. And then they have to go home and what now they have to be afraid for the next two weeks for your for their selfish display i don't understand it absolutely and i the thing that is disheartening to me watching that clip is that we live in a country where those people think wearing a mask is oppression yeah think about that they think that they think having to wear a mask is taking away your rights they think having to wear a mask is people have even uh, compared it to slavery, white people have even compared it to slavery. That shows you how shitty things are. No, I'm about to show you a clip of how sh shitty things really are. Um, as uh, there is a, there's something about black people in in running and walking in New York, and there is uh, this happened in Queens. In all fairness, um, and so check it out. What I um, what did she say? What was that? She called her a fucking nigger. She I threw something her. at her and then called her, her, her. her and told her to get out. Um, and she threw a bottle of her a bottle at her, and she threw a glass bottle at a black jogger in Queens, New York and said, get out. That, this is, this is where we, where we are. But like, how, how do you, I just feel so, you feel so depressed every day. It's not just coronavirus. It's the state of America just makes you sad. It really does. Like, and at that like, moment, I wish, <laughs> I wish I could teleport my sister to that moment and swap places with that other girl, the video would have been 1,000% different. Yeah. That lady, that would have been the last time that lady did something like that in that condition. But there's so many of these hateful people. Like, you never, yeah. I never knew, and I never knew that this many people were that filled with hate. Yeah. I mean, it's just... <laughs> This is a really sad, sad time now. People are getting upset about masks and all different types of stuff, but they're not upset about the stuff that's, you know, been affecting people for hundreds of years. They have no empathy or sympathy for any of that shit. But masks, man, that has to, we have to stop that right now. It's, it's just, it's sad. Somebody no. said, is your sister single, Ruben? <laughs> <laughs> Actually... Actually, she is, but I don't know if you want any of that smoke, man. She's a she's a handful. She's Ida times ten. With <laughs> 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 a criminal, with a criminal record that she's proud of. <laughs> I don't, I don't have a criminal record, but Ida sure doesn't have a criminal record. That's that's what they're working on it, though. Uh, hey, hey, fucking with Ida, she's gonna have a criminal record. Leave her alone, trolls. She she ain't the one. 
I got pulled over for weed a few years ago before it was legal, and then I sang like a canary. I was like, I have weed on my person. <laughs> I was not made for a life of crime. <laughs> I love how April owns her whiteness. She doesn't run from it at all. <laughs> I, I have marijuana on my person. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, the consequences are are different, right? They, she's not like thinking that they're gonna take me out of the car and beat me. They my did. Ass. They frisked me. I was in like a like I was young. I was much younger, so I I feel like I was looking cute on Sunset Boulevard, and I I got. I got felt up. I'm pretty sure it wasn't. I'm pretty sure it wasn't appropriate at the time, but I got a side of the road feel up. <laughs> Somebody said, "How April? How expand on your last comment? How could you not know?" So oh. it, she said she didn't know that the world was filled with this much hate. Uh, that doesn't mean she said that she didn't think racism existed because we talked about it. But white people don't encounter it the way we do. So they're not aware of how much it happens. I didn't know how much. I'm not saying I didn't know it, that it wasn't prevalent and didn't exist. Like, yeah. But I couldn't have fathomed this many people. Like, I felt like there were, like, ten dudes per state that were filled with it. Like, you don't know. It's half the population. I could well, this, this pandemic has showed us, I think, all of us a lot if we're paying attention and um, sometimes just something simple as who calls to check in on you to see how you're doing, if you're okay, because we're all going through this thing together. And then it's kind of showed, shined a light on some of my white friends that I have. And I have to say, man, I'm, I'm you know, I've had a lot of them call and check in, but, uh, and this is no knock to you, uh, uh, April, but it, it goes to the, to the point that Ida was making is they just call me, it's like, dude, I knew shit was jumping off, but I had no idea it was like that. And I just told him stories about how when I go to the Laugh Factory, depending on the time of night, what route I might take home to avoid police officers. I've never done anything illegal. I've, I've never been to prison, never committed a crime. But yet I'm, I've always been conscious about the police because I've had bad interactions with them through the years. And not saying all cops are bad. But for somebody who's, who comes from a law-abiding family, mm -hmm. who, who's had people in law enforcement, to have to have guns pulled out on you for doing nothing, it just shapes the way that you, you look at things in general. And they were just shocked. It's like, wait a minute, you just don't take the same way home every time? I'm like, nah, I try to avoid cops at all costs. And I have nothing to worry about. My tags are, <laughs> are up to date. No warrants, no anything, but I still try to limit any interaction that I have with, with the police, you know, and they couldn't understand that. I tell you, April had, uh, learns uh, a lot about it because April's husband is from, is Iranian. And it was uh, when she posts stuff, I thought of April's Facebook page and I don't, I, I try my best to stay off of Facebook comments. And I, you watch humanity just devolve. And white people talk to her like she's a traitor to them because she gives a shit about people of color. And it is amazing to watch. Oh, I thought you were funny or I thought you were one of my favorite comedians, but you're just a live talk. Like the, the shit that they put on her page and the attacks because her husband was travel banned. My husband had never been in my home. We had celebrated our one year anniversary and he had never seen my home. 
I had to fly back and forth to Italy to see my husband. I mean, three and a half years. It wasn't until I wrote an article in the LA Times that I was able to get him in. So I don't think he'd still be in, truthfully, if I think we would have been separated for coronavirus, probably. Yeah. But I've never experienced, even with him, like, because I'm angry, obviously, I'm filled with a lot of hostile Polak rage I have <laughs> from childhood. Just my ability to express anger in a public situation. Like we went to the U.S. consulate in Naples, and when our visa was denied, I was getting angry. And my husband was like, "Hey, hey, hey, come! You can't, you can't get angry that way." He's like, "You're white. You'll walk out of here. They'll do something to me." Absolutely. <laughs> he was like, "You can fucking do it, but I can't." So I feel like I'm always angry on his behalf, and he's kind of like trying to silence me because he knows he'll deal with the brunt of my anger. Yeah. Airlines. Like, I've never experienced what they do to have <laughs> airlines. You know, it's funny, April, uh, and, and as black men, we talk about this. It's like when we have our white friends in the, in the car, we look at our, our, at our, our black, when, when black people have white people in the car with them, we always look at our friends and go, shut the fuck up. Yeah. Let me handle this. Please don't start yelling at the police. This is a totally different situation. And they'll just be sitting there like, oh, I want to say something so bad. This is not fair. This is against your rights. Like, Yo, dude, this is normal for us. Shut the fuck up. Well, that's what my husband's always doing. Like, especially because he's like, for our wedding, like, remember they wouldn't let him and his family? That We had 27 people flying from Italy to Santorini. And, like, most of the plane was us. But my, uh, my husband's sister had just had a newborn baby. She forgot a bag, so he ran back. He had already had a boarding pass. They would have rather unloaded that plane. If they had a U.S. passports instead of Iranian passports, like the pilot got off the plane to be like, let the groom on. He just wants to get to his wedding. But there was such a level of hate by this woman who, whatever she was doing, the, the baggage lady or the woman at the front desk wouldn't let his family on. It was like, because they were Iranian. So now you have a groom who can't get to his own wedding, who has to spend an additional $1,500. But I'm like, if, if that was a white dude, they would have let him on that plane. Yep. Yeah. Only his shitty Iranian passport that opened. I was like, babe, your passport opens the wrong way. Nobody wants you. Nobody gets the passport when it opens. <laughs> when it opens the, the right way that we're supposed to be reading. That's yeah, 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 that's what I meant. I don't mean that's the right way. <laughs> so I'm just saying, I'm joking too. I'm saying we got it backwards. Like, wait, it goes backwards. I'm scared of it. It's backwards. <laughs> Um, okay, so the show is over, or gonna be, but I want people to know where they can find you, where they can connect with you. If you are performing, you have shows coming up. These people show up and they they perform and I mean they they participate and they support. So April, where you said you have some shows. I'm uh, in Huntsville, Alabama, next week at Stand Up Live, and then I'm in Atlanta at the Punchline, and then I'm in Colorado Springs at a new comedy club in Colorado Springs. And where can people find your information so that they want to buy tickets? At, at April Macy, M A C I E. Okay, and Ruben. Um, I'm in the process of putting together. Um, some social distancing shows out here in Los Angeles um, that if you follow me at I am Ruben Paul on Instagram or Ruben Paul comedy here on Facebook, uh, you can find out about these shows and I'm sure Ida will be on one of the shows, but we're just trying to find stuff to do here locally because the comedy community has been hit pretty hard here in LA and even in New York and a lot of other places. So uh, 
I'm in the process of putting some shows together. And uh, I probably will be hitting the road soon. I've, I've been hesitant to go back out, out, on, out on the road, but I know I'll be in Arizona soon and um, and possibly uh, Minnesota and a couple of other places. But I'm kind of taking that uh, one step at a time, seeing what, what's going on in our world, because I need to be careful uh, with some of the people around me not to uh, pass on this, uh, this virus. If you I have a podcast too, right? Where's your podcast? Oh, and I have a podcast called The Best of Everything Podcast that you can find on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, wherever uh, podcasts are. Uh, it's The Best of Everything with Ruben Paul and Johnny Sanchez. And I need to get April Macy as a guest on there. Ida has done the podcast. And she's great. And I'm also going to be starting um, uh, a new podcast, solo podcast, uh, that we're going to start next week. So I'm excited about that. So you can always uh, check out these uh, people, follow them on social media. As we talked about it earlier, it does make a difference. I will be at the House of Comedy, which I'm announcing today for the first time, um, the weekend of October 8th through the 11th in Phoenix. So if you are in Arizona, um, I will be performing there for uh, that Thursday, the Friday, the Saturday, and the Sunday. So make sure that you go to the House of Comedy and make sure you go to the Phoenix one and buy your tickets as I will be uh, beginning uh, my touring as I prepare for my taping. So thank you so much for coming on uh, Truth Serum and in allowing us to have a perspective, even if it's different than yours, we appreciate you listening because so many people are not listening anymore. They're too busy talking and saying uh, stuff that is not uh, facts and not true. Uh, we'll be back next week, um, Friday, uh, back at 12 p.m. where we're going to stay. And uh, we want to thank you so much for supporting the show and continuously showing up for me and showing up for my guests. And we're going to keep doing it here on Truth Serum, where we give it to you straight with no chaser. See you next week.